Welcome to Liquid History, the show that uses history as an excuse to get wine drunk. My name is Leo Cardoza, and with me today is a comedian, wine professional, um, podcaster, co-creator of the fabulously successful (laughs) Star Trek Sucks podcast, the only Star Trek podcast, Jack Gunn. Hi, everybody. Uh, and today we're going to drink some Chilean wine and talk about Chile. And we're going to try a thing where I'm a guest on your podcast instead of a co-host. <laughs> uh, you're, Jack, you're piercing the veil. You're, <laughs> you're breaking the fourth wall. It's an audio medium. There's not walls. There's fourth eardrum? I don't... Anyway. Okay. Um, so uh, let's talk about Chile just in general. So you and I have a uh, similar length careers and i've been in the wine industry a little bit longer than you but um for both of us i think chile was a relatively new uh thing on the scene um for for most of our careers yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah um and so for anybody who doesn't know that that is because uh chile was in a um fascist dictatorship yep yep from uh, from 1973 till 1990, um, and so it was only after the end of the uh, Pinochet dictatorship that Chile started uh, entering into the modern world of, uh, of of wine production, which is really unfortunate. Unfortunate. So Chile had been producing wine basically since you know the first colonials uh, arrived there, and. Um, like most of South America, I saw a huge influx of European influence during uh, phylloxera. Right. So a lot of people fled uh, Europe uh, during phylloxera, which is uh, a, a, a vine plague that uh, devastated Europe and a lot of winemakers in the late 18th and early 19th century. Sorry, the late 19th. and No, I had it right the first time. <laughs> Man, I am so professional late 18th and early 19th century um looking for work and looking for places that hadn't been uh been devastated yet and actually that that uh the the uh impact of that phylloxera epidemic is germane to the wine that we are drinking right now which is carmenere yeah um i think it's i mean it's germane to most chilean production and you know more about this than i do obviously because of what you do now for work but there's other than the impression there's basically no phylloxera in Chile because it's so geographically isolated. Well, it is because it's a combination of its iso- its isolation and the fact that the Chilean government um, took very proactive steps to right. quarantine um, when when the phylloxera outbreak began uh, and prevented it from from spreading. That combined with the fact that uh, that yeah, there it is relatively um, kind of cut off from from the rest of the world but the other thing that's amazing to me about chile and that i see so much potential for the wines of chile because you know the country is just this long skinny strip of uh hills and valleys and you've got the uh, the andes on one side the pacific on the other but but it runs so far north south that the entire 30 to 50 degree band of latitude uh exists within the country so they have literally every single possible wine growing uh climate that you could possibly want yeah if you're the kind of person that likes to say words like microclimate yeah chile is like a wet dream for you i don't know what the spanish word is for microclimate microclimate sure almost certainly not true (laughs) yeah i don't 
<laughs> okay. <Anyway. laughs> um, um, but so yeah, it kind it uh, it's really a bummer that the political instability of Chile caused the this kind of uh, stunting of the growth of what could have been uh, and and I think still will be can and will be uh, an amazing wine growing region. Um, because of uh, because of this political instability and the other thing and we'll kind of uh, dig into the the details in this story uh, is that this uh, junta this uh, coup was not a super unique thing and and sometimes history tries to paint it as though it was just this weird thing out of nowhere but there was you know political instability throughout Chile's history off and on there were coups and attempted coups but chile at the time of the election in 1970 was the longest uh, operating parliamentary democracy in the world really yeah huh. um and it's all that that's only like a hundred years or something like that at that point but you realize right. well you know, yeah i guess there like, was some shit that happened in europe yeah in that hundred years <clears throat> yeah like england has not has not transitioned uh, has not been uh transitioned from a monarchy to a, a parliamentary monarchy or whatever they are now uh for for that long at constitutional this point. monarchy I is think. that what it is i don't know um so the guy who was overthrown by pinochet is a guy salvador Allende, and that's who we're we're focusing on today so he was the legitimately elected president of chile uh, in 1970 and was overthrown by a military coup in 1973. Um, so to give you a little bit of background on him, uh, he was he entered politics in 1938. He was in charge of the electoral campaign for the Popular Front, uh, headed by Pedro Aguirre Cerda. Uh, their slogan was "Bread a Roof and Work." Um, so mm-hmm. he was all he was very much on the you know fight for the people side yeah i mean those are very specific words yeah. to pick let's say <laughs> he'd been reading a certain yeah certain certain person's body of work a guy he knew about a guy yeah um but so he then trans trans transitioned to be to the minister of health uh in the the reformist popular government uh popular front government which was uh, and while serving in that position, he was responsible for the passage of a bunch of progressive social reforms, including worker safety laws uh, and higher pensions and maternity care, free lunch programs for school children. Uh, by the 1950s, he was very well established as a politician. He actually introduced the legislation that became the Chilean National Health Service that was the first uh, health na- national health service in the Western Hemisphere to guarantee health care to everybody in the country. Okay. So um, he's a he's a social democratic reformer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's also he's his his career is marked by being very moderate and that and and wanting to be democratic, which will right. you'll see a little bit more. And it's kind of the thing that 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 screws yeah. him in the How end. How does that work out for him? We'll get to that part. <laughs> it works out bad. <laughs> Um, he uh, oh after uh, Kristallnacht, uh, which you may have heard of, it was a bad thing that happened in Germany. Uh, Allende and seventy six other members of the Chilean Condre- Congress sent a telegram to Hitler denouncing the persecution of Jews in the following words: 
as members of the different sectors of Chilean Parliament and in the name of the principles of the unit of uh, the principles that inform civilized life, we record our most lively protests for the tragic consequences of the victimization that uh, of the victimization of the Jewish people in that country, and we do vote for their excellence to cease. For uh, this translation doesn't work. Uh, to cease such state of affairs and the right to life and justice so humanely and eloquently claimed by President Ro- President Roosevelt reestablished for the Israelites. So, uh, which was kind of a kind of a big deal, yeah. um, you know that they uh, that they made that, and it is uh, even more telling that uh, well, it's it's of particular interest that he was one of the people that, that signed this document because, uh, one of the many things that was hurled at him by his opponents, uh, over the course of his career was accusations of anti-Semitism and dog whistle anti-Semitism aimed at him. Which has never happened to a left-wing politician since then. No, so not, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Thank God the world learned Yeah, and doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his uh, his mother, uh, I believe, had Jewish ancestry, and uh, yeah, and his political opponents would go back and forth between uh, accusing him of being an anti-Semite, and then you know saying uh, probably talking about shekels or something in re- regards to money. Again, it's never happened since then. Yeah, yeah certainly so. not in the last six months. God yeah. damn. There was. Uh, yeah, one of the one of his primary opponents uh, and a uh, a mentor within the um, Patria y Libertad movement, uh, and who was involved in the stuff that comes up with the CIA in a minute here, um, often referred to Allende's Jewishness or his Judeo-Bolshevik agenda. Can you so the. G- <laughs> Can you do me a favor when you when you edit this and drop in the like the Kill Bill siren noise whenever you say CIA <laughs> for me? <laughs> maybe maybe this show does need some more sound effects. Keep things moving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, sorry, sorry to step on that last point. It's no, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's just. I mean, it's amazing to me. And to your point, it still fucking happens. And it doesn't make just any the goddamn sense. Playbook set. never changes. Just like the <laughs> Jews run the world and control everything, uh, and they want to make everybody their slaves, but also they want to kill everybody, uh, and also they have all of the money, and also they want socialism so that everybody can go to the doctor. It's it just none of it. Well, they want socialism so they can control everybody because that's clearly what like a liberatory economy would do i guess whatever um so like i said 1970 chile had one of the world's longest functioning parliamentary governments um there there were a broad diversity of parties and there was the, a, a government that was marked by a necessity for cooperation because you had all of these it was uh, it's kind of like it reminds me of that scene from uh, monty python's life of brian where they're in the coliseum and you've got all these like splinter groups and they're all like anti-government, anti-Roman groups, and it's like the Judean pre- People's Front, the People's Front of Judea, and right. Jude- yeah, yeah, all, and so they're all like six people or less. Um, so that's kind of what's going on in the Chilean government at this point. You've got a couple of larger parties that are generally in charge, but they have to at least pull in cooperation from other smaller, like splinter groups. Um, uh, 1970 was. Uh, 
was Allende's fourth run at the presidency. And he came really close to winning in 1958, which is his first time running for presidency. Uh, and the, uh, the election schedule in Chile at this time is a six-year cycle, and you cannot serve consecutive terms. You can serve multiple terms, but not back-to-back. Okay. Okay. Um, but in 1958, a defrocked priest uh, and a mar- Marxist uh, named uh, Antonio Roel Zamorano basically like Ralph Nadered off enough of, uh, of uh, Allende's votes that uh, Allende didn't win and it ended up uh, going to Jorge Alessandri. So Alessandri, Alessandri is president from 58 to 64. Allende runs again in, uh, did I say 54? 64. So Alessandri, 58 to 64. 64, Allende's in it again, this time against uh, Eduardo Frey. Uh, by 1964, this um, thing called the Alliance for Progress had been established in 1961 by, um, who's that guy that got shot in the head in Dallas? Kennedy. Um, and it was, I was going to well, you said Dallas. I was about to say you have to be more specific. <laughs> Pre, this, is, this is pre-Operation Condor. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, the Alliance for Progress is one of those things that it, it kind of, it seems good on its face like its its goals are um you know decreasing illiteracy making sure people get food working for economic equality and all the you know all Mm -hmm. of the things that are supposed to generally be good but it also establishes a pattern of the united states throwing massive amounts of money at um brown countries in central and south america yeah i'm 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 familiar with this part yeah Um. So 1964 was kind of the uh, like litmus test for for the Alliance for Progress's success because uh, Frey was the guy that they wanted to, to have win and, and they, they considered Allende to be too much of a radical. Uh, and Frey won, so that was you know great big deal for, uh, for the Alliance for Progress. Um, they, they spent millions of dollars on the 1964 election, which uh, in, by 1970, um, they didn't spend nearly as much money in 1970, and in part because uh, the Alliance for Progress had kind of fallen out of favor because it's after uh, Kennedy had been assassinated, obviously, and, that was, and it was his baby. Uh, Nixon is obviously much more of a fascist about everything. Um, I don't know if I'd call Nixon a fascist. He was, I mean, he was a paleocon. I, I, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think, I think you need to, I mean, be careful with the with the borders on that and i'm not yeah you're probably uh, this you're, is not me jumping in to defend richard fucking nixon <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination i had no idea he's, you were he's, such a nixon stan <laughs> a nixon stan have you seen my my nixon back tattoo <laughs> you know roger stone has a nixon back tattoo right oh yeah i forgot about that have you seen it no don't look at it i don't want that's how i ended up like this i don't ever want to look at every time i look at roger stone at all i get just physically upset anyway no i think like nixon is just a different kind of evil than fascism yeah Um, yeah he's Um, he's still sort of a small state republican and, and i don't know i mean there's things have shifted so much since then it's hard to even say but 
anyway. So again, Chile already had a national healthcare system. They had, you know, had like full everybody's covered healthcare. He also began the process of nationalizing several of their major industries, the two biggest of which were uh, coal mining and uh, telephones, telecommunications. Um, but he had only uh, taken to fifty-one, taken fifty-one percent. So, at the time during the time of uh, Frey's government, the uh, the Chilean government took over fifty-one percent control of the uh, the Chilean copper mines. But Allende, when he eventually comes in, uh, he wants to uh, to do full control. But it's it, but it's just it's worth pointing out that like both of these guys by current standards and both of you know their their administrations and, and what happened under their administrations would be considered just like radical leftist socialism yeah. by yeah, yeah. current american standards communism basically yeah, yeah. um so uh 1970 Allende is in again so like i said Frey was you know pretty well liked but uh but he had to step down after after his first term um but alessandri is back so the guy who was president before Frey is back in it uh, and he also had had a pretty successful presidency, uh, and he's pretty much a centrist. And uh, the I think that's part of the reason that the U.S. didn't spend nearly as much money on this. I think they were kind of just assuming that Iandi was like done and that he didn't have a chance, right. um, and that Alessandri, having been a previous president, having been popular, that he would take it away in a landslide. Um, and ironically, speaking of Nixon, um, he basically has what happened to Nixon during the Nixon-Kennedy debates happened to him um so <laughs> alessandri is like pretty old at this point yeah. it's kind of sweaty looks like dog shit on tv <laughs> he looks like <laughs> shit on tv and like and and Iandi's not a young dude either but he's still energetic and charismatic right. um and so yeah they go on tv and Frey is uh or uh, not Frey, but alessandri is just yeah just like old and sweaty and bad so out of curiosity, like when you say what happened to Nixon during the Nixon Kennedy debates, do you know if like the people that heard it on the radio preferred him? I don't. I just I, I'm just taking this note from so my primary source. I, I read through a couple of different books uh, in writing this, but my primary source is uh, the last three years of Salvador Allende, which is written by Nathaniel Davis, who was the ambassador to Chile. Uh, from 1971 to 1973, so he was there through most of uh, of Allende's presidency. Or actually, no, no, no. It's 19. I think it's 1970. I think it takes over in the end of 1970. Um, but anyway, so he was the ambassador to Chile for most of Allende's presidency, right. um, and and up through through the coup. Uh, and so that's just that's kind of editorializing on Davis's part that that's he that he thinks that that uh, that that played a, okay. a, a big factor, but it would have been one of the first times that there was like a mass, you know, nationally televised right. uh, debate for a presidential election that, you know, that a lot of people saw. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there yeah, was a I just bring that up because the, like the older generation that heard that like didn't watch debates on TV. Yeah. When surveyed, they were like, yo, no, Nixon fucking rinsed him. Yeah. And it's like, obviously like that's, partly demographic because they're older right and they're gonna like people tend to turn right as they get older yeah. because the people that don't have an incentive to turn right tend to die young yeah um but also i think if you compare their two the two voices of nixon and kennedy we're getting a little off track but like i mean nixon, nixon has a bit like nixon are. sounds cooler honestly i think so <laughs> um, I, I mean, mean they're both very distinctive voices but like if you heard them both on the radio without seeing either of those guys 
I feel like you would be like, man, Nixon sounds like a fucking boss. I will say, I, I don't know for certain whether what I imagine JFK's voice to have sounded like is actually accurate, and I definitely have not listened to a lot of recordings, um, but what immediately comes to mind is like that strong uh, Northeastern, like Bostonian or whatever accent. Uh, yeah, but it's like an incredibly uh, not what you, like yeah, that. But it's an incredibly like bougie North Northeastern accent. Right. Yeah. So I think Which I would got to be really off putting. Yeah. For most I, people. I think I would want to punch Kennedy's voice in the mouth. Yeah. I mean, I do now. Just imagining it. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, yeah. somebody beat me to it <laughs> with a gun. Oh. 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 Two. It's not too it's, soon. Okay. He'd be dead anyway by now. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but yeah, so as we've uh, established or uh, touched on, Nixon did not fucking like Allende at all. Right. And uh, so as soon as it started to seem like Allende was going to be was going to win, because this is the other thing, he didn't win by like more than fifty percent majority. Uh, it was uh, Frey and uh, Allende, or no, Frey wasn't in it, so it's Allende and uh, shit. If I have the breakdown in here, uh, I'll I'll tell you if I find it. But basically, uh, it's it's neck and neck with neither with uh, with Alessandri and Allende both getting less than forty percent. Um, and it's like within a couple points of each other. Yeah. Um, but the general, and this go back, goes back to kind of the general sense of like cooperation uh, within Chilean politics at the time. The the typical uh, like kind of standard uh, orders of operation were no matter who it was and no matter how small a margin it was, the uh, uh, parliament would confirm that guy, he'd be the president. Everybody, you know, Form a government, form a coalition, figure out a way to to uh, to cooperate. Right. But it, it's worth noting, and, and I had a hard time tr- finding exactly why, other than just like knee jerk anti socialism, anti communism, like why people were so fucking scared of Allende because it's not just like hardcore partisans like like Kissinger and Nixon people within Chile were very worried about it as well which it's still uh, it, it I still don't understand exactly why because Frey's whole or um, Allende's whole thing was peaceful transition to socialism right it was revolution without revolution without violence right. like that was that was what he wanted to accomplish which again, it, you know, spoilers, but it doesn't end up working out too good. I imagine that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder, like, was it because of that, like, Kennedy-led pumping of money into the economy as long as they sort of liberalized their economy? Like, maybe that was part of it? Or, I mean, I don't, again, I mean, was it like, kind of like a manufacturing consent kind of thing where the press was because the media tends to be bourgeois. I don't know. Well, I didn't, like when it comes to Allende's election, uh, like the manipulated aspect of the press is entirely on the anti uh, anti Allende side. So right. the um, the U.S. doesn't spend nearly as much money leading up to the 1970 election as they did in 1964 to get Frey elected. Because uh, they spent millions of dollars uh, getting Frey elected, and they only spent like a couple hundred grand uh, working against Allende in uh, in 1970. I, again, I think just because they were arrogant and didn't think that he was going to win. Right. Um, but 
one of the things that they did was they brought in like a whole bunch of foreign journalists to just write anti-communist propaganda pieces for right. like newspapers and radios, um, which one, when I end a one ended up causing a panic and there was like a run on banks and, uh, and it uh, in, contributed to inflation and, and all this other shit. But, but it didn't end up, again, he, the guy was really moderate by compared to what it, what it seems like everybody thought that he was going to be, um, Again, it's a good thing we don't have a recent example of something like this happening. What? Did some something happen? No. Recently? I said it's a good thing we don't have oh. a recent example of something like that happening. Oh, good. Oh, good. I, I, too, am glad that nothing recent like this has ever happened. Um, In several countries. <laughs> so, so yeah. Th- so, Allende's election looked uh, to Nixon and all of the other, like, rabid anti-communists, like, the beginning of, uh, la- of all of Latin America. They were like, this is the second domino, and that's it. It's just, it's fucking over. Right. Um, and it was, like... Wait, what was the first domino? Cuba? Yeah, Cuba. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was just now it was going to be Cuba and Chile. It was going to be a <laughs> communism sandwich. Fuck, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm imagining I'm imagining a very funny visual, which is just one domino with a Cuban flag <laughs> painted on it that's just tipped over, and then just it's just surrounded by other dominoes that are still standing. <laughs> and then like a time lapse photography over like sixty years. <laughs> Um, so yeah, here's a quote from Henry Kissinger from July 1970, uh, which is before the election, before Inde has like won the plurality of votes. Henry Kissinger said, and I quote, "I don't see why we need to sit by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its own people." Folks. <laughs> Spoilers for the end of this episode. Henry Kissinger is a war criminal. Yeah, spoilers for the <laughs> end of this episode specifically. I mean, I legitimately did not know. I like here's what I knew of Henry Henry Kissinger because uh, he also like went out of politics before I hit adulthood. So I mean, kind of. He's still he's like a he's just around. Yeah, he's just around, but he wasn't like act. He hasn't been actively playing a role. Uh, like the first time I remember. Hearing his name was on an episode of Full House when I think like Aunt Becky or somebody was going to interview him for some blah blah blah. I mean, I guarantee every president that's been in office since you've been alive has called him for advice. Probably, yeah. Except for probably Donald Trump, because I can't (laughs) imagine him calling anyone for advice or knowing who Henry Kissinger is. Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Um, But. Anyway, my personal knowledge, I did not know that much about his career. I knew he was, like, a politics guy. Mm-hmm. That was it. Because um, I didn't know that much about what happens here right. in Chile or about, like, the others. I knew that, you know, the, the second half of the 20th century was really fucked up in South America in general. Yeah. But I knew nothing about the backstory and all the, the, the shit that went on down there. Um so and and yeah, now like through reading this, I found out that Henry Kissinger is legitimately wanted for questioning uh, for his participation in uh, Operation Condor and uh, and this this coup specifically by not the U.S. of course, no, obviously, <laughs> um, but by other countries who want to know uh, why uh, why he did that did those things. So Kissinger 
was the head of the 40 committee. What's the 40 committee? That sounds awesome. <laughs> they go to the park and drink 40s, right? <laughs> I think I've been in a 40 committee a time or two in my life. Oh, fuck. That's way better than what it actually is. We, we probably killed far fewer people than whatever you're about to tell me about. Almost certainly. <laughs> it would be... Unless I, we were really bad drunks. I would be horrified if your 40 committee had it resulted in the number of deaths that this 40 committee resulted in. Okay, so this is from a New York, uh, 1975. New York Times article uh, when it was disclosed last September that the Central Intelligence Agency had spent eight million dollars to destabilize the government of Chile under Salvador Allende President Ford confirmed at a press conference that the United States does take quote certain actions in the intelligence field uh, Mr. Ford added the 40 committee reviews every covert operation undertaken by our government it was an extraordinary public reference by a chief executive to one of the least known, most shadowy, and potentially most powerful committees of the government. At least in theory, the 40 committee must approve in advance before the CIA can invade Cuba, overthrow a government in Guatemala, or dispatch a B-26 aircraft to bomb Indonesia. Sorry if I missed this. Who is in, like, are these elected representatives? Uh, they are not elected to the 40 committee. But most of the people in the 40 committee are in in politics somewhere. So this is or they are in the this CIA. is literally the deep state. It kind of is, yeah. yeah actually, okay. okay, yeah. Um, so notably, like this isn't like people from the House of Representatives. No, okay. no, it's like again, Kissinger is the head of it. Uh, notably, it is at least claimed that Nixon is not a member of the committee which is almost certainly a, uh, you know, a firewalling for, right. uh, for deniability for the president. Um, so continuing the, the New York Times uh, article, um, so uh, the director of the CIA, uh, Director Colby, was called before Congress in 1973, which I th assume would be Watergate, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and was also questioned about uh, the 40 committee. So, also from this New York Times article, the operations of the 40 committee are so secret that this that in his Senate testimony, Mr. Colby was reluctant to even identify the chairman, who, as it turned out, was a well-known public figure. <clears throat> Senator Symington. Very well, what is the name of the latest committee of this character, Mr. Colby? The 40 committee. Senator Symington. Who is the chairman? Mr. Colby. Well, again, I would prefer to go into executive session on the description of the 40 com committee, Jesus Mr. Chairman. So he's trying to get off record. Senator Symington, incredulous is the note, too. <laughs> as to who the chairman is, as to who is the chairman, you would prefer an executive session, Mr. Colby. The chairman, uh, all right, the chairman, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Dr. Kissinger is the chairman at, as the assistant to the president for national security affairs. Yeah. Normal country. We're good. Uh, so Davis referred, so there were multiple plans uh, that were on the drawing board to try and stop INA from taking office. Uh, the first one was called Track One, which is the first like official thing. And this was, this involved the 40 committee and the, uh, the, the ambassador, which the guy who preceded Davis was uh, a guy named Corey. Um, and, uh, Davis, I couldn't find anything else on the internet using this term, but I love it so much. I just have to include it here. Uh, so Davis refers to track one, uh, also as the Rube Goldberg stratagem. 
Okay. <laughs> and so, first of all, dibs it's, on the band name. It's so funny, like these guys that ran the world, or at least sort of like prevented the world from running. Yeah, I guess Bo- both. Um, kind of both. That were like you know some of the most powerful people behind the scenes, at least as far as wrecking shit, are also such fucking dorks. <laughs> Like every time I get into this, like the like the Cold War CIA shit, I'm like, you guys are fucking nerds, you fucking dorks. <laughs> like, I just want to push you guys down a hill, <laughs> not only to save lives, but also because also you're nerds. on principle, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, are you ready to hear how the Rube Goldberg strategy was going to work? I mean, I'm assuming that like a bean falls into a. <laughs> No, so as we discussed, Frey had been kind of the the United States' preferred candidate. So uh, just in the interest of not having to do any thinking, uh, they just wanted to get him another term. But he was prevented by the Constitution from serving a second term. Right. So what they wanted to do was to get uh, somebody else elected, and then get him get then get that guy to step down. So they were going to try and get uh, Alessandri to win the vote and then get Alessandri to step down, which I don't know how they had the, the uh, ability or, or influence over Alessandri that they thought that they could just give him the presidency and then have him resign the next day. Um, and so the, uh, the 40 committee, committee or somebody within the CIA talked to Ambassador Corey about this and he was supposed to meet with with Frey to discuss this whole thing um, he was uh, authorized to spend up to $250,000 to basically bribe members of Chilean Congress to vote for uh, to confirm Alessandri instead of uh, Allende um, Corey claims that he refused and didn't take the money and didn't dis- never discussed it with Frey um, and he said that it wouldn't work the, the 40 committee also sped, spread Propaganda, like I said about, you know, they had a bunch of people write propaganda pieces and all that, uh, all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, Nixon had handed down orders to Richard Helms, the head of the CIA, that he was to do anything that he could to stop Iandi from taking power. Um, and he was, in, he was instructed. So this is the beginning of track two, uh, the unofficial attempt uh, at, uh, at, ta- at preventing Iandi from, from taking over. Uh, and did not involve the 40 committee or the ambassador or the embassy. Um, and so, so this, this is just Nixon and Richard Helms at this point. Yes. Okay. Um, just making sure. Yeah. So, and their plan was to uh, get rid of Allende before he could actually. T- so there's argument about whether they were just straight up trying to figure out a way to murder Allende um, or if they were trying this other thing. So, what ended up happening is they tried to provoke a military coup by uh, staging a kidnapping of this very high-ranking general named Schneider. Okay? Um, so there, the idea was that, like, that would, you know, him getting kidnapped would 
upset the military enough that the military would just be like, all right, everybody calm down. And the military would just like step in and take control of everything uh, and stage like a low, a low key coup, right. you know, a coup that we could just throw some money at and get it to go away, right. um, which is, I mean, it basically sounds like that's still what they were trying to do with when, when we finally get to uh, the, the coup that actually happened. Yeah. Is that yeah? They they're like, oh, there's no way that this guy that we bribed to overthrow the government in his own country will refuse to cooperate with us after he's in control. Yeah, we've got a long history of uh, arming right wing militant groups and then them just working out perfectly for us going forward. Yeah, they forever. always they always do exactly what we ask of them as and, soon as they take over. And also, they go away when we want them to. Yeah. Um. And they don't. Fly plane. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Schneider, this this general, uh, was a proponent of what eventually becomes known as the Schneider Doctrine with regard to military intervention, and it is basically that the military should be apolitical. So the military should not have any involvement in involvement in politics. They should just be the fucking military, protect the country, but there should be no, there should never be a threat of a military coup or anything like that. They should not be partisan. They should not prefer any any political candidate because their job is to be a military and to protect the country, which would be a cool thing. Yeah, someone should try that sometime. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's tried it at this point. But so... Not that uh, I'm aware of. The kidnapping... Uh, goes wrong they make several attempts at kidnapping this guy part of it is like they, they had contacted two different guys one of whom was an active member of the chilean military one was ex-military and had actually attempted to be involved in a coup against Frey like the year before and he's just like a nutball and so the cia guys who are involved are talking to these two guys and they realize that one of them's kind of nuts and they're like, okay, well, let's not answer his texts anymore. But they keep talking to this other guy. But the two of them are still talking to each other. So when Schneider gets assassinated, the CIA is like, oh no, that was that was we weren't even talking to that guy. We talk, we don't even know about him. That's not a Schneider, you say? Yeah. Uh, well, and it was uh, I can't remember that I took him out of my notes. There's two two generals. Uh, and the, yeah, so the one who was like the the uh, the loose cannon, they were like, oh yeah, no, we told him never mind. We said no, yeah, we talked. I mean, we talked to him, or we didn't. Or, I mean, we might might have. I don't know. I don't. What's his name? Schneider. No, it's it's. Uh, I think one of them's. They they both start with V. Uh, anyway, point of the story is Schneider gets killed. Uh, and it has the opposite effect uh, intended. The military, he was so well regarded within the military that uh, basically as kind of a tribute to him, the military collectively was like, yeah, we're going to follow what he, you know, we're, we're going to do do his thing. We're, we're going to do the Schneider Doctrine, so we're not going to get involved. We're not going to right. step in and, you know, try to take over power here. Right. Um, so Iandi's confirmation goes forward. Um and so, obviously, you know, we, we know that the United States government and the CIA are heavily involved in this whole um, project. But uh, don't forget about capitalism. Never, never forget hey, about Hey, I never would. <laughs> you know me, man. <laughs> so, I, t I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the copper mines already. 
um, there's this uh, there's a telephone company called uh, ITT International Telephone and Telegraph, um, which it owns seventy percent of the Chilean telephone company, and their board obviously considers Allende a threat. Uh, because he, they thought he was going to nationalize the phone company, which he probably was going to. Um, and one, so one of the members of the board of ITT had was a former director and still a consultant for the CIA. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's again, good thing we learned our lessons since these times. Mm-hmm. So former CIA director contacts active CIA director, uh, sets up a meeting for the CEO of ITT, a guy named Harold Geenan, who I also want to shove down a hill. Um, he offers a million dollars to stop Allende. He meets this with the CIA, um, but uh, basically at this point, it's the, the whole process towards Allende's confirmation has gotten far enough along that everybody's now worried about getting busted um the like the cia and the and itt don't want to face the potential backlash uh if their fingers pointed at them like cia doesn't want to do it because they kind of don't want to be that outwardly involved they want to be pulling strings rather than triggers as it were yeah and this has got to be getting close to like got to be getting around about like the church commission time so they're probably like trying to lay low a little bit um Oh fuck! I can't remember the that I can't remember the timing on the church commission, and there's no way to look it up. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so the the point of the story is that plan doesn't end up going forward. Um, but they uh, but the, there was that the run on the banks and everything, and uh, but after the after Iandi was confirmed, uh, everything calmed down and and everything was was pretty smooth. Um, the Christian Democrats, which which were the other major party, uh, started working on on legislation to basically to make sure that Allende didn't have a clear and easy path to become a dictator. Even though, again, his stated goal was never to do that. Like he did want to uh, make it a, like less of a parliamentary democracy and more of a representative, or you know, a people's government. Uh, because it was still very class segregated, even though they had all the stuff that we've talked about, you know, like right. uh, national education and healthcare systems and all that stuff. Um, it it's was almost like basic, a few basic social democratic functions don't actually uh, fix class segregation. Well, I don't know why you would say that. I don't think there are. I don't think there are several other current or historical examples. Yeah, you're right. There's no. <laughs> I got no leg to stand on here. <laughs> uh, you're like a table without legs. You're just a plate. Yeah. That's why people keep putting food on me. This this went to a weird place. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, he, uh, Allende had, had laid out plans for the changes that he wanted to make in the political structure, which, uh, again, not an outright bid for dictatorship, but he did really want to change the structure of government uh, so that he wouldn't have to rely as much with, uh, with cooperation, on cooperation with uh, opposition parties and so that it would be a more, like, straight democratic system so right. it wouldn't be, you know, basically ruling. You know, like what a dictator would do. Right. But in order to do that, he would have to change the Constitution. In order to do that, he would have to have more than 50% of the vote from or support from the electorate. And 
in the spring of 1971, uh, there was an election and his party won. And it's it's this kind of weird. I don't understand that much about how parliamentary systems actually work because it's like his system won or his his party rather won like 48 percent or something uh, of the vote. But. Yeah, I just don't understand. Because it's not like you just went in and voted for a party. Like, you still voted for candidates. Yeah, I mean, the problem with... God, we're both so underqualified at comment on this. I think it... And it also seems to vary country to country. But I think, basically, like... To have, like, an actual government, you have to have a majority in parliament. But that majority can be made up of more than one party. So you just need to like, so like the right, which is so sorry, the ministers so of that parliament in, that that win seats from a party that will throw in its chips with yours. Yeah, I like still don't. It forms. It forms a. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that was the the spring of 1941. Uh, Davis regards as like the closest they would he would have had uh, to having the popular support to do what he wanted to do. But again, he was he was hedging. And the other thing about Allende at this point, uh, like you know to be brutally honest about him is part of the reason that he doesn't want to be that much of a revolutionary is at this point is because he's kind of old and he kind of likes nice things yep like he still believes in the principles of everybody being able to have stuff but but say for instance he has a lake house yeah that kind of sucks (laughs) but he doesn't (laughs) necessarily want to give it up and he would also maybe prefer to retire there rather than do this shit forever uh, I, I think uh, to, I'm not. I'm see, not citing any specific example. I don't know where you're going with this. I don't know. I, I, I do genuinely see Sanders as like a, a more pure motive, purely motivated guy. Partially because uh, I actually spoke to a guy. It was a really bizarre interaction. I, I talked to a guy that uh, I walked into an Italian restaurant in Seattle uh, to sell this wine. Actually, Casa del Bosque. Uh, and the guy the buyer's name was mario so again i'm in an italian restaurant talking to a man named mario i start talking about chile was he like hey it's a me mario (laughs) no (laughs) but i started talking about chile and the casablanca valley he's like oh yeah i grew up there and i was like what were your parents up to uh uh anyway and he apparently grew up not too far from uh la moneda to the point where uh his neighborhood like revolutionaries were going through his or the military were like going through his neighborhood uh in 1973 when they were uh when they were seizing power uh but his perception of allende even though he wasn't like obviously was not a a fan of pinochet uh he also was not a fan of allende um and yeah a classic centrist yeah i guess yeah um, but so yeah, there was that the initial panic uh, after the, after the election, but uh, it pretty quickly people realized that it had all been in, been bullshit, um, and uh, Allende's party started to set about you know uh, trying to stimulate the economy and and put their plans into action. Um, they mandated increased minimum wage in the private sector and in uh, government jobs. Uh, they started hiring at all levels of government, from bureaucrats to janitors. Um, one of the important things is that apparently uh, 50% of Chile, of, of industry overall in Chile, was already under government control. Um, and 
it would my my immediate reaction to like all of this new hiring was that it would just be like a bunch of redundancy and, and excess spending um, but there was a bunch of uh, underproduction in like within factories and so a lot of this new hiring increased production and they were able to um, there was a 12 percent overall increase in industrial production for the entire country in 1971 yeah I mean I don't know how much like ideology you want in here but there is a Marxist concept called the organic organic uh, uh, composition of capital which is like like your capital actually is worth more the more um, labor that there is in it rather than just stuff because eventually like like the the tendency for the line to go down um, comes from the fact that you just automate more and more and more and more of your capital is just based on dead labor but it's like okay it's reproducing itself but it doesn't actually benefit anybody and therefore no one can fucking buy any of the shit you're making um which is a problem that you might be familiar with right now where just everywhere (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, you, I, yeah, and you have obviously spent a lot more time on uh, like uh, communist and socialist theory than than I. Yeah, have. and you can I'm, and you can cut all you can cut. No, I'm, I'm leaving it in cut, there. I, hopefully, somebody. I, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, the entire reason that I started researching this is because I was uh, a fan. I still am a fan of Bernie Sanders, and I wanted him to win. And when you know everybody that's on the opposition side is screaming that uh, you know. Uh, letting people go to the doctor is socialism and socialism is is genocide right you got to be like let's parse this where, out a little bit where better. are you getting that from ben shapiro mostly yeah, I mostly think. ben shapiro but anyway so um he uh he, the, so 1971 starts off looking pretty good for for his, his administration uh the christian democrats the next biggest party um were pretty well committed to cooperation and you know things were going well between um between the two of them unfortunately in june um and the christian democrats had been the party of eduardo frey the the previous president uh and unfortunately in june frey's former vice president edmundo perez was assassinated by a far-left splinter group um the vanguarda organizada del pueblo um, which was a you know far left uh, radical communist group, but there was a lot of feeling that they had been that Allende's government had been complicit, or that they didn't do enough to stop them, or that or conversely the other like the deep conspiracy theory because they did uh, uh, like arrest and or I think they were all I think everybody who was known to be involved with it with the assassination assassination was killed so then the forthcoming extra deep state conspiracy theory became that Allende's government had hired them to do the assassination and then killed them all to stop them from talking about being hired by Allende's rep it's exhausting conspiracy theories are fucking exhausting um well and it's also not to add another wrinkle because you seem so tired but the cia did shit like this all the time yeah. to discredit the left both in america and abroad yeah and also the fbi all the goddamn time yeah so 
Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, that uh, the 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 happy fun playtime between uh, uh, phrase um, United Popular uh, Pop- Party and the Christian Democrats did not last very long. Um, Christian Democrats uh, thought that the uh, the UP was controlling the media and that like all this. The, the attacks on Christian Democrats were Allende, like directly the fault of Allende's administration. Um, and they, so yeah, by the end of 1971, internal uh, domestic politics in Chile are not uh, doing great. And obviously they're not doing great with the U S um, I have the, the whole text of, uh, of this memo from Kissinger, which I don't want to read all of it cause it's, it's just too long. Um, but he, he issued this memo, uh, on November 9th, 1970. Um, and it kind of lays out like the U S's policy and stance towards Chile. And it basically boils down to, um, fucking around with the, uh, with, with copper price, worldwide copper pricing, um, to, in order to destabilize the, the Chilean economy, um, which there's questions of how much they, the, the Kissinger and or the 40 committee and or the CIA uh, were involved in that and how much it was just the natural effect of the end of the Vietnam War. Um, right. So uh, I, they're probably a combination of yeah. those things. Call them A, call them B. Yeah. Um, Kissinger also lays out uh, a policy that his, I think his terminology on it is like correct but cool. Uh, so he's basically just trying to like ghost Chile, but like ghost slash gaslight them. So like, he doesn't want to do anything that is outwardly obviously hostile enough that any blind observer would be able to look at it and be like, Oh yeah, the United States is obviously being a bunch of fucking dickheads to, to Chile. So like given up on that since then, it seems like, yeah. Twitter, just kinda, Twitter changes things. I, I would say the Iraq war was when we were just kind of like, you know what, we're just fucking going for it. Yeah. Suck our big red, white, and blue dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so copper, going back to the, the, the whole copper thing, um, for most of the 20th century, uh, most of the wealth being created by copper mining, amazingly, was not going to the people of Chile. That was a spit take, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> World-class spit take. Um, and uh, and like I said, that was everybody was like, "That's not fucking very cool." And uh, and Frey had made it so that the the government controlled fifty-one percent, uh, but that wasn't enough for Allende, so he introduced a bill. Uh, that seemed uh, very moderate, and I love the way that this works out so much. Uh, and I'm sure there's more nuance to it, but just reading the description in uh, in Davis's book, I was like, "Fucking fuck yeah, pimp!" Um, so he introduces a plan that's supposed to take like 30 years, uh, and the the Chilean government will slowly buy out the interests of these uh, these private companies that that own stakes in the copper mines. Um, and it's like, okay, we're gonna we'll look at your you know the equipment that you've purchased your you know your investments make sure that you're appropriately compensated you know make sure that that everything's fair um and uh but also um we're gonna look at your ledger sheets 
for the past uh, I think it's like 15 years or something like that um, and you know based on what is you know what we think is like regional reasonable margins that you know that somebody should be making within you know industry standards nothing excessive or anything like that um, so we're just going to look at that and make sure that you, nobody's been you know profiteering um, and like six months later Ayande comes back and he's like yeah you guys have all been making too much profit you don't own shit anymore would you believe that there was a disagreement between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie about how much their assets were worth? Yeah. It's almost like I'm not going to say it. I don't I don't I don't know what you're referring to. I don't know, I don't know of any other time. Well, I was just going to say that the solution might be gun noise. <laughs> oh yeah, I need to put some more noises in here. So the, the, the whole copper mine uh, debacle, uh, Allende announcing that the copper mine people don't own their copper mines anymore, um, happens right about the time Davis is going through his confirmation process, um, which is a very boring part of the book. Um, but the part that I included here is that in, uh, uh, sept in, in October of 1971, as he's going through the confirmation process, he receives what he only describes as the largest and most expensive Christmas present I have ever seen. Davis. This is Davis's description of the gift that he got from the CEO of International Telephone and Telegraph. <laughs> Do we find out what that is? No, he never says. <laughs> That's going to drive me insane. I know. <laughs> Why did you do this to me and also to your listeners? <laughs> I'm going to go with human-sized gold bear. I'm going to go with, like, fighter jet. Okay. It's bigger and more expensive than human-sized gold bear. I don't know. how. And much... more practical for, like, counter-revolutionary action. Well, yeah, but Davis isn't a revolutionary. No, he's a counter-revolutionary. Uh, well, not really. Yeah. He's he's I don't know he's pretty he seems pretty moderate because uh, he has he has some you know hard truth words for the 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 American government as well as uh, for kind of all of the parties involved on the Chilean side. Um, okay, I don't know. He's he, he, if he was alive today. He'd be posting Trump memes on Twitter. That's what you're saying. I don't think so. Oh, I think he'd just be a pretty. I don't know. He he strikes me as kind of the the platonic ideal of an ambassador who should not be extremely partisan, who should just be dispassionate and looking at the things that are going on in the okay. you know in the country yeah. that they're. That's what I mean. He also strikes me as a giant fucking dork because his his book is just. <laughs> it is dry. <laughs> I mean, you know this. The listeners don't have to know this, but uh, the the you have had to watch me go through the last several months of trying to to write this story, just because I've been trying to be thorough about reading this book. And every time I get a couple of pages in, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so much information, and I have no idea how much of it is actually important. Yeah, and you've run a lot of this by me too yeah. already. Um, so. Uh, Davis describes the general feeling of the relationship between the United States and Chile during his years in Chile as like tense but stable and he says Allende's government 
uh, was is, continues a lot of cooperative programs with the United States, which it shows pragmatism on Allende's part because Allende also doesn't want to just go, you know, latch on to the Chinese or Soviet teat uh, to and you know and become like a little basically kind of do what Cuba ends up doing. Like he still wants to be able to to exist and function alongside the other countries uh, in this hemisphere. Right. Um, but still, still enact the the social programs that he thinks thinks are the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so he strikes me as very pragmatic. Um, Castro came to visit in uh, in the end of 1971, and Davis calls it a circus. But um, he says that uh, that Castro was not received with uniform welcome, and it was kind of controver- his visit was kind of controversial. Um, there was still opposition in the press, and it was most likely the first time that Castro had actually seen bad words, bad things printed about himself in a really long time because yeah. he, like, he hadn't left Cuba, and obviously no Cuban newspapers are saying anything bad about him. Um, there was one point uh, a big uh, dance at a, like a, a big events an event in a dance hall, and uh, Castro was seen and or photographed. I think it was just seen. Um, I, I can't remember if there was actually a, a, a photo of it, um, but uh, there was uh, and there, so there was a bunch of press insinuating that Castro was gay, based on this dance hall thing that happened. Okay, and then at some point later he visited a town uh he didn't say what the name of the town actually was but it's a name that's extremely close to maricon uh which is spanish for the give the gay slur yeah um and and so there there, isn't it literally butterfly but they're just like uh no that's mariposa oh okay um i i i feel like i learned something about the etymology of that and i was like Okay, apparently people who speak Spanish think butterflies are gay. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is some... Now I'm trying to remember because I think that there is some sort of connection, but I cannot remember what... Uh, literally what, what it means. Um, anyway. My favorite literal translation for a Spanish swear word is the word pendejo, uh, which means pubic hair. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's I a, would be... It's, bummed if somebody told me I was a pubic hair. Yeah. <laughs> Dismissive, gross, insulting, something that you don't want around. Not threatening, but also not welcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's contemptuous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there were newspapers that just ran headlines that just said, like, Castro Maricón. <sighs> yeah. You love to see it. Yeah, it's rough. Um, and it and it's also important to notice to, to note that this is within living memory at this point in Chilean history uh, that gay men had been sent off to, like, death camps um, within, like, about 30 years, uh, I think, prior to this. Um, The same death camps that are eventually used by the Pinochet regime. Fun little little tidbit. That was a fun teaser for what's coming. (laughs) Fun little tidbit. Thanks for keeping the tone light. (laughs) So um, Allende and Castro, as you said, very different approaches to socialism. And uh, and Allende, again, according to Davis, didn't never seemed like he wanted to be a dictator. He wanted to prove that there was a way to create a peaceful, democratic transition into a socialist system. Um, And and. Castro was not impressed. 
Castro left with there the, there there was a kind of a general feeling among Allende's party that Castro had stayed too long and talked too much and probably influenced the more radical left more than Allende wanted him to because again Allende wants to be a centrist or center left or whatever um, and that Castro's presence had uh, charged up the really you know violent radical revolutionary left yeah well I would say I mean I guess like. Allende's maybe looking for like a political revolution, like he's looking to amend the Constitution um, to make a more, you know, populist form of government. Yeah. Um, but he's he's trying to do it all via voting. Yeah. So it's political revolution rather than uh, by revolution, yeah. um, which was more Castro's yeah. bag. Yeah, Castro's all about gun revolution. <clears throat> Real um, quick, which one of them lived into the 21st century? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, and Allende's resistance to violence um, comes up yeah. l- later. And, and like I said, it, not that I'm trying to promote violence. No, me neither. But in this particular case, <laughs> it does seem like Allende's resistance to violence kind of bit him in the ass. Yeah. Hey, guys, sorry uh, for the truncated episode here jack and i talked for about two hours which seemed like an excessive amount of time so i'm cutting it here and i will drop the second half next week i hope you enjoyed it and thanks for listening